0: man y'all can y'all can take a seat man, how about you? I'm feeling pretty fired up. Repeat after me, oh, how? He loves me. Oh, how? He loves me. He loves me. He loves me. He loves me I'll tell you what. I love that song, you know, and a couple lines just really, really speak to me. I, I like that line that, you know, that how, you know, life is full of afflictions, but he, that line, all these afflictions eclipse by glory. Like, no, no matter what we're going through, no matter what trouble we're facing, no matter how big they seem, when we see God, his glory eclipses every affliction, Amen. And, 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 and I love that other line, because I don't know about you, I, I mess up. You know, I, I, after I was saved, I, I still sin. You know, I, I sinned some this week, and I, I love that line that, you know, I, I don't have time to maintain these regrets when I think about how much he loves me. I, I want to tell you, church, God doesn't want us living in regrets, right? He's, he likes repentance. Repent and move on, Right? not repent and live in regrets. And so uh, what, what an incredible uh, time of worship. Uh, well, this is it. Uh, we started our journey in the book of James back in June. And today, October the 4th, 2015, here we are landing the plane. And, and listen, like I, I told you from the beginning, you know, James is a difficult book. And it, it's not a difficult book because it's hard to understand I mean, in the book of James, you're not going to find seven seals, seven trumpets, a great harlot, a beast coming out of the sea, and a dragon. And instead, it's a, it's a difficult book because no matter how long you've been following him, no matter how mature you think you are, no matter how far you feel you've come, when you read this letter written by James, you're like, hey, has this guy been hacking my email? <laughs> like, is he reading my mind? You see, the deal with James is this. You can live to be 117 and be doing fairly well at the following Jesus thing, yet whenever you open up this God-inspired letter with an open heart and an open mind, you still feel like you have a million miles to go. I understand the mirror that that James constantly calls us to look into, it makes us uncomfortable. It forces us to look at flaws and, 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 and failures and shortcomings that uh, we might not realize are still there or we have pretended no longer exist in our lives. Now, that's why, like I said before and I said last week, that when it comes to this journey of becoming like Jesus, it's, it's about progress, not perfection, right? It's about progress, not perfection. And, and I got to be honest with you, brothers and sisters, this has been One of the most, if not the most, powerful, impacting, life-challenging, and life-changing studies I've ever been a part of personally. Seriously. For real. I I, I mean, I I am not the same guy who stood up here in June of this year. Now, Now, I still got a million point two, three, I have a million point two, three miles to go. That didn't make a bit of sense. I still got a million. I still, still stuck with a million and let the points out, okay? I still have a million miles to go. You, you, you see, see, what I did back in June is I, I accepted James' invitation to step into the ring, to square off with him in the octagon. And listen, this younger half-brother Jesus, a guy who was so committed to Christ that he gave his life for the cause of Christ, one day being tossed off the temple mound and then being beaten to death with clubs, James was unrelenting to me as he challenged me every week to see how real my faith really was. I mean, every week he was all in my face, all up in my grill saying, Steve, if your faith is real, then whatever trial you're going through, you're going to consider it pure joy because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance, and perseverance must finish its work so you'll be mature, complete not lacking in anything. Steve, if, if your faith is real, then you will defeat sin and temptation. Steve, if your faith is real, then you will be quick to listen. Slow to speak and slow to become angry. Steve, if your faith is real, you won't just listen to the Word, but you will live out the Word in your life. Steve, if your faith is real, you will reign in your tongue so that your faith is not worthless. And if your faith is real, you will look after those, who the orphan and the widows, after those who cannot take after themselves. Steve, if your faith is real, you're going to tame in your tongue. So that you don't have that kind of mouth that out of the same mouth comes praise and curses. But you'll use your words to build people up. Uh, Steve, if your faith is real, you, you you will this is the this is the one that really like knocked the snot out of me in. If your faith is, is real, you, you will say no to the wisdom that, that is full of a bitter envy and selfish ambition to the, to the wisdom uh, th- that makes you the point of everything and that keeps you uppermost in your own affection. You'll say no to that kind of wisdom because that kind of wisdom only produces fights and quarrels and disorder and every evil practice. And instead, y- you will say yes to the wisdom that comes from above, the wisdom that leads to peace and a harvest of righteousness, a, a, a wisdom uh, that is is that that is done Good deeds that are lived out in and peace and Peace loving and considered and being reasonable and being full of mercy and good fruit and parcel and sincere. Steve, if, if your, your faith is real, then, then you're going to break up with the world and, and you're going to bow down to God and, and you're going to stop busting on your brothers and sisters and grumbling against them and putting them down. And, and if your faith is real, Steve, you're, you're not going to live a, a life of luxury and self-indulgence, but you're going to, you're going to leverage all your resources for, for my kingdom and, and for my glory. And Steve, if your faith is real, you will be patient. And you'll trust me. Steve, be patient. The Lord is coming. Steve, be patient. God is accomplishing something in you. Steve, be patient with your brothers and sisters. Steve, be patient. All of God's promises, ask the prophets, ask Job, are true. Yeah, I still have a million miles to go. Uh, But James has helped me move a little ways down that road to become the person that God wants me to be. And i got to tell you, I am so very grateful to him. I'll tell you what, when I get to meet him, we join up in heaven, I am getting him a 24-ounce Flo's Filet, medium-rare mushrooms, asparagus on the side, and for dessert, we're going to get a cake from Kurt's ice cream place, right? I mean, I'm going to hook him up. I'm so grateful for what James has done for me. Now today we're gonna to unpack the final nine verses of, of this letter. And, and and uh before we do that, I want us to pray and and pray that you know we'll receive God's word is alive and active. I pray that we receive this word uh, alive and active and that God will open up our hearts and minds. And and as we pray, also want us to remember, you know, our, our the families of our brothers and sisters out in Oregon, you know, who who stood up for their faith and lost their lives, and not just them, all around the world, right? You know, our, our brothers and sisters are facing persecution while we sit comfortably, right? And so we, we want to remember those families. And And if you would, we like to pray sometimes, palms open. It's just symbolic, we're ready to receive um, from God. Heavenly Father, we, we humbly and joyfully and expectantly come into your presence. We, we are overwhelmed by your love. Uh, we stand in all of your grace and your mercy, that all-powerful, all-knowing, holy, righteous God like you would have anything to do with frail, finite, falling people like us, but you do, and you love us, and you pursue us. And open up your heart, open up our hearts and minds to your word this morning. Open up my heart and mine as I proclaim your truth this morning. And God, I, I pray for the moms and the dads and the brothers and the sisters and the aunts and the uncles and the the grandmas and the granddads and the family and friends of uh, of those young people out in Oregon who who lost their lives. And and God, for all our brothers and sisters around the world who even at this moment are suffering persecution because they love you so deeply, God, I pray that you will give them boldness and courage. And God, I, I pray that you will, that we'll be inspired by, you know, they're taking a stand for you that we will live our lives for you in a greater way. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, let's do this. James chapter 5, 12 through 20. James starts off, but above all, uh, my brothers, and uh, those two words above all, it, it, it's a Greek phrase used by, by ancient writers that basically meant finally, in, in conclusion. In other words, James is like, "Hey, hey, I have to wrap this thing up. There's a whole lot more I'd like to say, you know, but they're coming by to pick up the mail and I want to get this letter out to you this week. But, but listen, as I conclude this letter, there are, there are a few more things I I just have to say to you. There are, are, are a few summary statements that, that I, that I need to make. And so James writes to those Jesus followers in the first century and to those in this room who, who claim him today, brothers and sisters, above all, be truthful. Uh, above all, come on in. Uh, above all, get real. Uh, above all, unleash the mission in your life. And, and that's pretty much the outline I'm going to go with for the final nine verses of James. But above, but above all, my brothers, be truthful. James writes, do not, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be what? And your no be so that you may not fall under condemnation. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. And if that sounds familiar to you, there's a good reason because Jesus said pretty much the same thing as he sat along the hillside by the Sea of Galilee. And Like I said many times before throughout James, throughout the entire Bible, you will always hear echoes of the teaching of Jesus, which makes sense because Jesus was the Word become flesh. And Jesus said in Matthew 5... Beginning at verse 33, again, you've heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black, though I think I'm doing a pretty good job heading to the white. <laughs> let, that, let, let what you say be simply what? Yes or no? Anything else comes from evil. And what both James and Jesus are talking about is is they're calling us to be truthful, to be honest, to be a people of integrity, to to be people who keep our word, to be men and women who who mean and do what we say, uh, who who do not speak with a forked tongue. You know, I, I looked up images on Google of forked tongues and I decided not to show them because they're really gross looking, man. I mean, don't Google right now. It'll freak you out. But, you know, you know uh, he wants us to be people whose yes means yes and no means no. And here's what was happening in the first century that led both Jesus and James to address this issue. You see, people, they didn't want to be truthful, yet they still wanted people to believe they were telling the truth. And so they would take an oath. They would, they would swear by something. In order to add weight to what they were saying, you know, like, I'm th- no, I'm really telling the truth. Cross my heart, hope to die, stick a needle in your eye, no, in my eye, right? You know, or hey, I'm really serious. I really mean it. Let's pinky swear, right? Well, well they were basically doing the same thing, you know. But one thing they knew, hey, you, you, we don't want to, we don't want to swear by God's name, because if you swear by God's name and you break your oath, you're really in trouble, so we'll swear by the temple or we'll swear by Jerusalem. You know, and then if we don't keep our word, we're not truthful. Well, it's kind of like having the, our fingers crossed behind our back. Hey, we're still honest and truthful because we didn't swear by God. And Jesus and Jesus says, No, 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 no. See, the issue is truthfulness and integrity. And listen, we should not have to invoke the name of God or promise to stick a needle in our eye for people to know that we're truthful. Our yes should be yes, our no should be no, period. It's a matter of personal integrity. Get it? Good. Uh, question. And remember, God brought me here to talk to me and you here to talk to you. I know we much rather talk to other people and how they're screwed up, right? But let's admit it, we're all screwed up, but we're going to fix ourselves, right? And so here's the question. Are you a truthful person? Does your yes mean yes? Does your no mean no? Or does your yes and no depend on what group of people you happen to be around? Can people trust what you say? Or do they always have to take what you say with a grain of salt, a little skepticism? Well, I know they said it, but it may not really be true. Understand, truthfulness is a very big deal. Just two quick scriptures that underscore that. The first is in Ephesians chapter 6. Paul's talking about how our battle... It's not against flesh and blood, but it feels like it sometimes, right? Because <laughs> yeah, that's you can only smack flesh and blood, right? But it's not against flesh and blood; it's against the devil. It's against evil, and, and and then he talks about the armor of God that we are able to put on. And he says in verse 14, "Stand firm, then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist." And 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 this truth—it's not you know, the truth isn't the Word of God, because that's coming later with the sword of the Spirit. This is personal integrity. The belt of a Roman soldier held all his gear together. Without that belt, everything would fall apart. And you and I, without personal integrity, everything just seems to fall apart. And then God says in Psalm 101 verse 7, he says, no one who practices deceit will dwell in my house. No one who speaks falsely will stand in my presence. As James concludes this letter, he says, but above all, my brothers and sisters, be truthful. And then I think you're really going to like the next one. Above all, come on in. James 5, 13 through 18. And listen, I got to tell you that those six verses, you know, I could spend a couple hours unpacking them. I mean, we could do a whole sermon series On those verses. I I mean, they are jam packed with truth and they are loaded with gallons and gallons and gallons of awesome sauce, right? I mean, they're incredible. But we don't have time for that this morning. So, what I I wanna do is I I wanna walk through those six verses, we'll pause every now and then and highlight something. And and then I, I wanna tell you what I mean by those three words. Come on in. James writes, Is any one of you in trouble? He should pray. Great advice, right? I mean, James is saying that that our auto response, our automatic response to trouble, should be what we we, we should pray. Question: Is prayer your auto response to trouble? If not, why not, right? If not, why not make it now? And we're, we're going to take a very brief period of time. Doesn't have to be long, you know, but. I have a hunch that maybe somebody here has some trouble. <laughs> somewhere, somehow, somewhere. You know? And James says, if, if anybody's in trouble, he should pray. And so I'm going to pause. I'm going to bow my head. i got some things I can pray about silently. Maybe you do too. If you have some trouble, let's pray about it. Amen. See, when you pray about trouble, I was—I wasn't faking. I was actually really praying. You know, just remind how big God is, right? Like, it's like—is there like nothing God can't handle? Like, like, like He breathes out stars, you know. When you pray in your trouble, you remind, reminded, yeah, your trouble may be big, but your Dad is a whole lot bigger. He continues. Is anyone happy? Let him sing songs of praise. Let me say a few quick things about praise and singing. Now, I, I know that singing can be weird and uncomfortable. I mean, other than in the shower, in the car, there's not too many places that you sing out loud, right? Or maybe at a concert. But every week, we come into this room, adults, right? And we sit in the room, and we sing out loud together, right? That's kind of different, right? I don't, if I wasn't in church, I probably would never meet with a couple hundred people. Hey, you guys want to just sing? You know, it's probably, probably wouldn't happen. It's kind of weird and uncomfortable, and I know that sometimes men can have a difficult time singing. And I just want to say, guys, that if you think that singing isn't masculine, then pick up your Bible and read about a guy named King David. I mean, the brother played a harp, all right? He played a harp. You know, in our day and age, it doesn't get more effeminate than that, but yet the same guy that played the harp, he's out there killing lions and bears and taking a sword and cutting off the head of Goliath, right? Yeah, you know, one of my most powerful moments of praise, I remember you know, the stadium in Jacksonville, Florida, at a promise keeper event with 60,000 guys in an open-air stadium praising God. And it was absolutely incredible. Number two, singing digs deep roots. In Colossians 3:16, the Bible says, "Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing. Psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. You, singing just it, it, it digs our roots deep. These songs, you know, some of the songs that we sing just make the roots go down deep about who God is and what God can do and how great is His faithfulness. Uh, singing builds others up, right? I mean, when you get in a room, you know, one of my favorite moments, like in any worship service or or, or if I'm at a Christian concert, is it, when is when the guy backs off from the mic and, and it gets quiet and all you hear is all the people around you just singing and praising God. And man, it just, it just builds you up. Singing also strengthens us for trials because some of these songs, right? I, I mean, some of, the, some of these songs get buried deep in our hearts. Like, like, it is well with our soul, right? I mean, we're going through those hard times, right? I don't know about you, sometimes, and, and I, I love... I love trust, and a lot of times I'll find myself, "'Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus." And it is. Man, it doesn't depend on me, right? You know, it it strengthens us in our trials. James continues this. "'Anyone of you sick, "'he should call the elders of the church "'to pray over him and anointing with oil "'in the name of the Lord.'" You know, which means in accordance to God's plan and His person and His purposes, and the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise him up, and and I want you to know that the elders of Maple Grove that that you know uh, we believe in this and and we practice this. In fact, we had the opportunity to practice this just a little over a week ago when uh, uh, um, Joe Clifton. He's been in a wheelchair since 1991 from an accident. You've probably seen Joe around here, and, and uh, he was concerned that he was. And he, he knows his legs are, are what they are, but he was, had some pain and tingling and numbness. He was concerned that maybe he's going to lose the use of his arms and his hands, and he was concerned. And, and he told his life group leader, uh, Tom Tickle, who contacted the elders, and, and, and so Larry Moore, Mark Murray, Tom and myself, went over there, and we got to hang out with them, hear more of their story. It was a great time. And, and then we got to pray and anoint them with oil, just like Scripture says, right? You know, asking for God's will to be done. And, and uh, Jennifer posted on her Facebook wall because they had an MRI coming up. She says, So very thankful to God for the good news we received today from Joe's doctor regarding the MRI of his neck. More testing to come, but we're feeling encouraged and so blessed. So thankful for Pastor Steve and the elders, Mark Murray and Larry Moore, and our life group leader, Tom Tickle, for coming to our home to pray over Joe and me and anoint us with oil, before Joe went for his MRI. You blessed us greatly. Thank you for being Christ to us. And you know what? I'm convinced, you know, that because we did what God said to do, is why that MRI, right? God gets the credit, God gets the glory, right? God did that, right? That we did what God said, and God showed up and did what He does. James continues. If he has sinned, he'll be forgiving. Therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Now now we're going to take a deeper look at this command about confessing our sins to one another when we look at what James says, above all, get real. So we'll come back to that. Then James writes, the prayer of a righteous man is what? It's it's powerful and effective. And and then he says this, Elijah was a man just like us. I'm so glad he said that. Because I don't know about you, I'm kind of prone to think that, you know, that that Isaiah and Jeremiah and Elijah that somehow they had an in with God right you know you know they had some they had a hotline with God they had a speed dial with God that I didn't have right and, and and he said no no Elijah he was just like you he had his good days and his bad days he had his victories and defeats he had the days that he was confidently standing for God and he had days where he was filled with nothing but despair and hopelessness Elijah was a man just like us He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again, he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crop. In in, in these six verses, what jumps out is that James is talking about the beauty and power of prayer and of praise. Now, I don't think anybody's surprised to hear James say, you know, that above all we must pray, above all we must praise God. I, I, I don't think anyone, when you talk about prayer and prayer, pr- prayer, and praise, goes, man, I didn't know I was supposed to talk to God. I, I didn't know I was supposed to praise Him. I mean, we know that. We get it. But listen, the thing I'm convinced that many of us miss is the amazing, awesome, and mind-blowing reality that lies beneath James' call to pray to and praise God. And underneath it, you know what it is? It is an invitation to commune with, to have a relationship with the maker of heaven and earth, to have a relationship with the sovereign king of the universe and to boldly approach his throne of grace with confidence as his sons and as his daughters anytime, anywhere. Brothers and sisters, God wants you to know him and to be known by him. In Acts chapter 17, uh, Paul's is on he's on Mars Hill, and he's, he, he's telling the Athenians, uh, 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 our God's not, not detached. He's involved in human affairs. He determines where people are going to live and uh, what nation's going to rise, when the nation's going to fall. And, and, and if you ever had the question, okay, why is this great, powerful God involved in the affairs of people? Why is he doing this? I love this. God did this got involved in this world so that men would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him though he is not far from each of us for in him we live and move and have our being. You see when I look at James 5 13 through 18 when I pull it all down I I see an invitation to come on in. Come on in and enjoy a deep an intimate relationship with God. Brothers and sisters, whatever is happening in your life, the invitation is, come on in. Commune with God. Know Christ. And listen, when when we begin to see prayer and praise this way, it it changes the way that we approach both of them. Uh, Understand that they will become a delight, not a duty. We'll see them as an not as an obligation, but as an opportunity to commune with our adopting, loving, merciful Father anytime, anywhere, no matter what we're going through. And I want you to know, I'm not making it up. Right now, at this very moment, God, the maker of heaven and earth, has said, Come on in. Are are, are you suffering? Come on in. Are, Are you in trouble? Come on in. Are you happy? Come on in and let's sing about it, right? Are, 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 are you sick? Gather around a bunch of people, particularly the elders, and come on in. Are you anxious and afraid? Come on in. Are you tired and weary? Come on in. Are you confused and lonely? Come on in. Are you feeling blessed in your life? Come on in. Come on in and be with me. And I love this. I love that, that he wraps up this letter with this invitation to come on in. It's like James is saying, hey, you know what? I, I know I threw out a bunch of stuff at you about what real faith looks like, the kind that pleases God and moves mountains. And listen, I know you're going to fall short, but, but I, I want to make sure that you always remember that there is a never-ending invitation to come on in and have a relationship and commune with God. Amen? Amen. Understand this weak, sad, Bible belt version of Christianity uh, that, that has you thinking that because you believe certain moral principles or attend church, you're a Christian is not biblical Christianity. Listen, you and I have been called to a relationship with God through Christ, you and I have been called to a relationship with God through Christ. You and I have been called to a relationship with God through Christ. That and only that is Christianity. Get it? Good. You see, it's all about connecting to God. Uh, uh, this week, my, my daughter, May Lee, had a math project she was turning in, and it was raining really hard. And so I drove her to school to Sutherland, and I, I took a picture after I dropped her off. You know, that's some branches on the ground. And you know, I saw those branches for about a week or two. Cut down; they used to be green. Now they're kind of brown. And 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 I pulled into the driveway and I took a picture. Now, one thing you gotta know about me is is I'm, I'm a preacher, which means two things: I'm weird, and I'm wired to see illustrations everywhere, right? So, and and and, and I'm looking at this, and rain. It's been raining like for weeks, right? Just rain coming down, and, and I'm thinking like. That rain is good for trees, right rain is good for trees. I think I learned that in school. It makes things green, but all the rain wasn't helping those trees at all Those branches weren't being helped by the rain at all because what there wasn't what wasn't a connection and and and, and, and this truth kind of hit me like you know if people can be in an environment can be in rain, things that are intended to cause them to grow i mean you can. Be here this morning, right? I can be standing up here. You can be leading a life group. You can be teaching a Sunday school class. All these things that are intended, an environment of rain, intended to make you grow. But if there is not that connection, the rain will do you no good. Get it? Good. But if there is a connection, baby, bring on the green. My grass looks so good right now, I'm loving it. And it's not, I don't have to even pull out the hoses and sprinklers, man. It's like all free. How should we think about prayer and praise as an invitation? Come on in. But above all, brothers and sisters, be truthful. Come on in and get real. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. And and James is telling us that that we need to confess our sins to, to each other. Now, there was a guy in the Old Testament who who learned in a pretty powerful way the power of confession. His name was David, and um, he learned it the hard way because for a year, like he hid his sins, adultery, murder, lying, he hid them for a year. And then finally one day, you can check it out, the whole story, 2 Samuel 11, 12, 13, 2 Samuel 11, 12, 13, but finally one day he confessed his sins to a guy named Samuel, and he actually wrote a psalm. Psalm 32, where he talked about what it was like, I, I don't know if you've ever hid a sin, but, but he talks about, here's what it was like when I kept this sin hidden and buried. He says, "For when, when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. Man, I, I, I couldn't sleep. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. I mean, he's exhausted. And then David adds the Hebrew word sila, which is placed in there for, like, for the reader or the singer to pause. And it means, hey, think about this. Consider this. Don't, don't, don't be too quick to keep on reading. Now, you pause and think about this. David is saying, when I kept silent about those secrets in my life, my bones wasted away. I couldn't sleep at night, and I felt totally exhausted. Understand, not confessing sin has a huge negative impact on their lives. That's why God says through James, confess your sins to one another so that you may be healed. You know, one of the things I love is that when, when science starts to catch up with scripture, on a recent NPR interview with a neuroscientist named Dr. David Egelman, he said this about some of his research. You have competing populations in your brain. One part wants to tell something, and one that doesn't. There's a real physiological battle going on in the brain. Keeping certain behaviors secret, especially behaviors that are seen and understood to be wrong, and he has wrong in quotes because he's not a believer, right? Keeping certain behaviors secret, especially behaviors that are seen and understood to be wrong, means continual struggle with yourself. Uh, The internal dissonance, and Lack of sense of personal integrity is draining. The struggle involved in keeping a secret is stressful. This means your brains will register the, fa- register the fact that there are increased levels of stress hormones going through your bloodstream as a result of the struggle to keep your secret. Your brain does not enjoy the stress. <laughs> Those living duplicitous, yes. <laughs> duplicitous, duplicitous, I got it. I messed it up so bad for a service, because I, I even wrote it out on my notes, Duplicitus, and I still mess it up. Okay. I was so proud. Now, those, I've, I apologize your you're a visitor. That's, like, that's, that's a victory for me, man, right there. Uh, those living duplicitous lives live with the stress of keeping a whole section of their life secret from the people they see every day and care about. The fact that the brains are marinated in stress hormones due to keeping the secret over and above the effects of the wrongdoing themselves can cause an impairment in the person's ability to stay healthy and function well. Again, science catching up with the Bible. David knew that 3,000 years ago. James knew it 2,000 years ago. Another study talked about the power of confession done by a guy named James Penbaker of the University of Texas in Austin. He used blood tests and EEG measurements to determine what physically happens to people who confess. Here's what he found. Penbaker found that whether secrets were confessed to one, to one another out loud or, or merely written down and shared later, there were tangible health benefits, both physical and mental. The research found it not only improved relationships in regards to depth and intimacy, but it also resulted in better sleep and an improved health system. I love it. And we have science saying don't live a duplicitous life. (laughs) Don't hold on to secrets, come into the light because confession brings about deeper and more intimate relationships. And by the way, it'll make you a healthier person. Again, this is the secular world saying the Bible's right. Now they don't know they're saying the Bible's right and that's what makes it so awesome. The Bible is right. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Question. Are there any secret sins in your life that you need to confess? I I would encourage you you to find a, Trust it, capital T. Brother or sister, and confess. See if you've just been confessing to God and you're still struggling forty years later. As Dr. Phil would say, "How's that working for you?" Right? And not not, not so well. See, the only way to destroy and defeat darkness is to drag it into the light. Amen. We will not win on our own. As James concludes this letter, he says, Above all, my brothers and sisters, be truthful. Come on in. Get real. And unleash the mission. Uh, my brothers, if one of you should wander from the truth, which means a brother can wander from the truth, and someone should bring him back, remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the error of his ways will save him from death. In Scripture, uh, death is means separation. Physical death, separation of our spirit and body. Spiritual death, separation of our spirit from God. Whoever saves, turns a sinner from the error of his ways will save him from death and cover over a multitude of sins. See, see the mission that we're to unleash is the mission of restoration. And as James concludes the letter, he's talking about re- restoring the, uh, the wandering brother. And, you know, I, I, I think that when we think of the wandering brother, you know, someone who's really turning away from God, we tend to think of the big visible sins, right? Somebody's having an affair, uh, they're committing sexual morality, they're, they get, they're caught up in some full-blown addiction. But what about some of the other sins? You know, lesser sins, right? You know, like Paul talked about in Galatians 5, yeah, he talked about the big ones. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear, sexual morality, impurity, lustful pleasures. Idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. You know, living an unconfessed sin is a sin leading to death. Understand, any sin that we do not confess, now we have a great gift as Christians, right? John wrote to Christians in 1 John one nine, If we confess our sins, we agree with God, hey God, that's wrong, I shouldn't be doing that, he is faithful and will forgive us of all sin and unrighteousness. But listen, a- a- any sin sins that Paul lists or sins that James lists, any sin that we do not confess and are no longer struggling with or striving to overcome. Hey, this is how God made me? I'm just an angry, bitter person. And God kind of lets me get by with that. Any sin that we do not confess and are no longer struggling with or striving to overcome is an indication that we're wandering from God and are on a path that leads to death. Get it? Good, I mean it's true, and 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 therefore, you know, if we see a brother or sister, right, and and they are wandering from the truth, if we love them, right, we we will do whatever we can to restore them, right. We'll have a conversation, and those can be hard to have, right, because you can risk the relationship. Uh, Paul, in that same letter, where he lists the sin, says in Galatians 6.1, brothers and sisters, someone is caught in a sin. Not just the big visible ones. You who live by the Spirit should restore that person, how gently. But watch out, watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. Restoring the wandering brother. Now, as we wrap up, I, I, I want to talk about restoring the lost sinner. You know, w- w- what does the gospel say about? Restoring those who do not know God. How is a lost sinner restored? In Romans 3:23, we have some bad news, uh, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, right? God's holy, we're not, right? We missed a mark. Is that a big deal? Well, yeah, because Romans 6:23 says, the wages of sin is what? is death? separation. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And, and so the question is, you know, how do we get in on this gift? And when, when we open up our Bible, we see how we get in, in on this gift of grace that we sang about, this grace that we can stand on. How was a lost sinner restored? You'll see the first thing uh, where we would have is here uh, Paul writes, how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? That's why missions is so important. There are billions of people who've never even heard. So faith comes from what? Hearing, that is, hearing the good news about Jesus. they got to hear. And, and, and then we need to believe. We have that world-famous End zone verse, John 3, 16, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him, believes in who he is, believes what he did, believes the debt he came to pay was true, shall not perish, but have eternal life. So, so they hear, they believe, and, and once they hear and they believe in who Jesus is and what he did, the next thing we see in Scripture people do is they repent, Acts 3.19, repent then and turn to God so your sins may be wiped out that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. We hear the word, we believe it, we repent. Repentance is basically saying, you know, I've been the boss of my life and I've been screwing it up royally. (laughs) Uh, You're the boss now. You're in charge now, not me. And then we confess. We're willing to confess like those students in Oregon did. Therefore, everyone who confesses to me before man, I will also confess him before my Father who is in heaven. Jesus right now is saying, hey, I know these people. Hey, they're with me. Yeah, I know they just got shot, but they're with me. They confess me. I'm confessing them. So we hear, we believe, or repent, we confess. And then we see in Scripture, we see people being baptized. And I want to walk through you know, um, some Scripture. Uh, the references are in your notes. I have some um, Things in the back there that you can look at. Uh, studies on, on on baptism and how baptism is connected with restoration. And I'm going to a little. I'm going to read a little, uh, quite a bit of scripture because next Sunday is baptism Sunday, but every day is baptism day. But but here's what scripture says about baptism. Here's what Jesus said. Anyone who believes and is baptized will be what? Will be saved. But anyone who refuses to believe will be condemned. And Jesus said in Matthew chapter 28, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. In other words, I'm in charge. What I'm about to say is really important. Sit up and take notice. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Well, how do we do that, Jesus? Baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And that phrase in the name of was a term used in the Greek marketplace um, and meant a transfer of ownership of property. You know, When you're baptized in the name of the Father and the Spirit, guess who owns you? God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. And teach them to obey everything I commanded you, and surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. And then in the book of Acts, if you walk through the book of Acts, you know, see you have the Gospels, you have the, then you have letters written to churches and the Christians. And the book of Acts is where you actually see men and women surrendering to Christ, being converted. Peter preaches the first Gospel sermon in Acts chapter 2. It says, hey, you killed God's son. If you didn't know, that's not a good thing. You're in trouble. They say, hey, what shall we do? Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. Why? For the forgiveness of your sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Those who accepted the message, which means some didn't, were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to the number that day. You move on to Acts chapter 8. We read in Acts chapter 8, verse 12, Philip, the evangelist, was out there preaching, but when they believed Philip as he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. A little later on, Acts chapter 8, Philip runs in. Well, actually... Holy Spirit makes him run into an Ethiopian eunuch who had just returned from the temple. He's reading Isaiah 53. He's like, I have no idea. I'm clueless. What's going on? Is Isaiah talking about himself being this lamb, or is he talking about somebody else? And from that moment, Philip began to preach to the Ethiopian eunuch the gospel. And then we read, as they went along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, look, water. What prevents me from being baptized? And Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe. That Jesus is the Son of God, and he ordered the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water. Philip as well as the eunuch, and he baptized him. Acts chapter sixteen. You know, it's, it's a theme verse for Elvis Presley's Jailhouse Rock. Uh, you know, uh, Paul and Silas are in jail and they're singing. Like, talk about being weird to sing in this room. And not a lot of songs in prison, but they're just they're just jamming, man. And, and, and earthquake comes. The, Jail doors fly open, chains fall off. The jailer thinks, I've lost my prisoners. I better kill myself before Rome kills me. He runs in and he says to them, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus, and you'll be saved, you and your whole household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him because he had no clue who Jesus was. And to all the others in the house, at that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds, and immediately he and all his household were baptized. Acts 18, verse 8, Crispus, the synagogue leader, and his entire household believed in the Lord, and many of the Corinthians who heard Paul believed and were baptized. You just see the same pattern throughout the book of Acts. Acts twenty two sixteen, 16, Paul's at a home of a guy named Ananias. He's been there for three days. You know, he met Jesus in the road to Damascus. He's, he's blinded. He has scales on his eyes. He knows who Jesus is. And Ananias says to him, and now what are you waiting for? Get up? be baptized, and wash your sins away, calling on his name. And so through the book of Acts, we see people responding to the gospel in faith, repentance, and baptism. Some other verses we see in the New Testament, um, 1 Peter three twenty one. Peter says, in this water, the waters of the flood symbolizes baptism that now saves you also. Not to remove dirt from the body, no magic in the water, but the pledge of a good conscience towards God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's the power. Paul said in Galatians 3.27, for all of you who are baptized into Christ, one of my favorite verses, have clothed yourself with Christ. And just one more verse, and again, next Sunday is Baptism Sunday, but if you've not done this, it's any day, any time. And I have some sheets on the back that you can look at, a personal study of baptism and what the Bible says in various scriptures, but here's Paul is talking about baptism in Romans 6. He says, don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? And we are therefore buried with him, how? Through baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead, of the raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we united with him in a, in a death like his, Buried with them in baptism, we're certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. So we see in scripture, you know, the way a lost sinner is restored. Someone's got to tell them, right? We got people in our lives. You may work with them. They may be family members. You got to tell them, and then then they then they believe, then they repent and surrender, and then they're willing to confess Christ, and then they are buried in the watery grave of baptism as James, the half-brother Jesus, as he as he concludes this letter, he, he has final words for them and for us. You know, and I venture to say that you know each of us are hit by a different fact of what James is saying today. Brothers and sisters, above all, be truthful. Be men and women of integrity. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. Brothers and sisters, above all, come on in. If you're troubled, come on in. If you're afraid, come on in. If you're worried, come on in. If you're weary, come on in. If you're a sinner, come on in. If you're tired, come on in. If things are going great, come on in, and let's sing oceans together, right? Come on in. Brothers and sisters, above all, get real, Sin is, a, is not a good thing, and God has given us the gift of a trusted brother and sister in Christ who will not beat us up, but will help us defeat sin by that sin being dragged into the light. And, brothers and sisters, above all, unleash the mission in your life. Do you know a, a brother or sister who's wandering, not just the big sins, that are wandering from the truth, that you can say, have that tough conversation? It's not fun, right? It's risky, right? You know, but if you're about to drive off the cliff you know, and, and I could stop you, you probably want me to, right? Like, you know, like the road ends real soon. You may want to hit the brakes. You know, but if you know someone who's wandering, they're caught up in sin, maybe bitterness, anger, lust, pornography, cutting, I, I don't know what they're caught up in. You know, have a conversation with them because you love them. Do it gently, right? Because you're just as screwed up as they are, you know. And and, and, or or maybe that's you, right? (laughs) Maybe you're that wandering brother, and God brought you here today, and you got to say, you know what? I I, I've been denying my sin. I just I've been pretending that that it wasn't there and that didn't really matter to God, and 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 it really does. And I just want to repent of it. And maybe you're like those branches lying by the road, right? You yeah, you're in here today, and you'll be here next week, and the rain is pouring. Right? You even open up your Bibles and read it, and the rain is pouring down, but it's not really working because there's not that connection, there's not that intimacy. And, and the good news is, is anytime, anywhere, any place, God says, "Come on in." Would you stand and pray with me? We're going to sing a song here today. And if you need prayer, you know, come up here and pray. If, if God moves you to do it at your seat or to come up here and just say, "God, I'm ready to get back on track," and here today, you've never surrendered to Christ and faith, repentance, and you're ready. You know, if you haven't been baptized, I just say, Hey, what are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized, and wash away your sins, calling on His name. This song is about how 2,000 years ago, love came down not to beat us up, but to rescue us, restore us. God, we love you. We're amazed by your mercy and your grace. And we celebrate you right now. We celebrate your love. We celebrate the fact that every day your mercies are new. We celebrate the fact that you continue to pursue finite, falling, fragile, messed up, screwed up people like us. That your love knows no bounds. That your pursuit for us will never end. And God, we celebrate the fact that your love came down to rescue us to pull us out of the muck and mire, to restore us to be your sons and your daughters. Holy Spirit, just move as we sing, and may we celebrate you and celebrate your love. In Jesus' name, amen. And all God's people said, bring it.